0: Welcome back to Misconduct, a true crime podcast. I'm Eileen, and as always, joining me is Colleen. How are you doing tonight, Colleen? I'm good. I'm enjoying this summery weather we've been having this last week. It's a nice change of pace from the rain. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm officially a SF girl. I prefer it when it's mid-60s and foggy outside, but it's been really nice, so I will give you that. Uh, We wanted to shout out our most recent five-star reviews. Uh, Thank you to
2: Bookshelves91. DMGK1 and Isabelle for your feedback. Uh, We love to hear from you. And so if you have a moment, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes if you want. Uh, Reviews help us out and they can also help other people
0: find the podcast as well. Yes, thank you. And we also have some new Patreons we wanted to give a huge thank you to. Thank you, Tori, Marcy, uh, Lainey, Jillian, and Mary for your generosity. You guys help us bring you more content and we can't tell you enough how much we appreciate the support. We really do. And we also have another uh, podcast recommendation for you. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, check out Court Junkie. Each episode of Court Junkie shines light on injustices in our judicial system. We at Misconduct have been binging this podcast in the last week or so. So if you have a minute, please check them out. It's uh, It's definitely worth it. So, with that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into today's case. So, Amy Semple McPherson,
2: also known as Sister Amy, was a Canadian-American Pentecostal evangelical minister—it's a bit of a mouthful—known Yeah. for founding the Foursquare Church and overseeing the construction of the Angelus Temple in Los Angeles in 1923. McPherson rose to fame in the 20s and the 30s for using modern media, such as radio, to grow her audience and disseminate her message— She became the most publicized
0: evangelist of all time, known for her larger-than-life personality. In May of 1926, Amy was reported missing while swimming in the ocean at Venice Beach. It was initially thought that she had drowned, however, after a massive search for her body uh, and it was never recovered, many members of the Foursquare Church did not believe that she drowned and remained hopeful that she would end up being recovered alive. Sightings of Amy were reported throughout the country. The temple began receiving letters and calls alleging that they knew where uh, Amy was located. Often multiple calls would come in on the same day, but the supposed locations would be miles or even states apart. Just as the Angeles Temple was preparing a memorial service in absentia for Amy, her mother received a call from a hospital in Douglas, Arizona, saying they had her daughter, and she was recovering after being found in the desert and she had, been, uh, she had escaped from kidnappers that had been holding her hostage for over a month. Amy made a full recovery and triumphantly returned to L.A. In an attempt to bring her kidnappers to justice, Amy brought her complaints to the court and demanded an investigation. While the police investigated, they uncovered evidence that Amy may have been fabricating this whole kidnapping and instead opened an investigation into her. The investigations into the alleged kidnapping and Potential hoax were both dropped before a resolution was ever reached. In either case, almost a hundred years later, questions remain: Was Amy truly kidnapped and held hostage for over a month, or was the kidnapping an orchestrated cover for Amy, who was hiding something in her personal life? So, Amy
2: Simple McPherson was born Amy ken Elizabeth Kennedy on October 9th, in 1890. She was born in Salford, Ontario, Canada. And she was raised in a very religious Christian household. Her mother was heavily involved with the Salvation Army, which is a Protestant sect of Christianity, and her father was a Methodist. As a child, she was very involved with her mother's church and would give sermons to her dolls and stuffed animals when she was a kid. As a teenager, she strayed from her religious upbringing and rebelled, but now rebelling at this time was reading novels, going to movies, and attending dances. All of this was looked down on by both of her parents' religions at the time. She further questioned her religious upbringing when she realized some of her fellow moviegoers and dance attendees were part of her church congregation. She would routinely question church leaders about faith and science and often found herself unhappy with the answers she got from them. And although she seemed to be questioning the religion she was raised in, Amy did not abandon her faith altogether, She gained some notoriety while in high school for an op-ed she wrote to a Canadian newspaper that questioned why public schools were teaching courses such as evolution that undermined Christian values in schools. She received a nationwide response uh, with many supporters writing her directly and this brush with fame kicked off a lifelong dedication to speaking out against evolution and the teaching of evolution in schools. In 1907, while still in high school, Amy met a Pentecostal missionary from Ireland named Robert James Semple. After attending a revival meeting with him, she decided to dedicate her life to God and converted to Pentecostalism. Amy and Robert married in August of 1908 after a brief courtship. He became a Pentecostal preacher, and the two began going on evangelistic missions together across the world. They relocated to Chicago, Illinois, and became students of William Durham a prominent preacher at the time. It was soon discovered that Amy had the ability to interpret speaking in tongues into English.
0: So in Pentecostalism, speaking in tongues is when someone begins speaking in a language that is otherwise unknown to the, the speaker, the person speaking it. It is believed to be a divine language that comes to the speaker when they are moved by the spirit of God to deliver a message. Speaking in tongues is considered to be a gift. And the ability to translate that language is considered to be an uncommon gift. So Amy being able to translate this divine language into English would make her noteworthy in their religious circles.
2: Amy and Robert left for an evangelistic tour in China in 1910. Both contracted malaria while abroad, and while recovering, Amy found out that she was pregnant. While in Hong Kong, Robert fell ill again, this time he had dysentery and actually passed away. Amy gave birth to their daughter Roberta Star Semple soon after Robert's death. Widowed at 19 and a new mother, she boarded a ship with Roberta and returned to the United States. While on the ship, Amy taught Sunday school classes and held services that were popular with many of the passengers on the ship. Once she was back in the United States, Amy spent some time recuperating with her mom, and while in New York City, she met an accountant named Harold Stewart McPherson and they were married in May of 1912. They moved to Providence, Rhode Island, and had one son in 1913 named Rolf Potter Kennedy McPherson.
0: During this time, Amy was struggling with uh, emotional distress and obsessive compulsive disorder. She leaned on religion to get through this time and was known to weep and pray when she became overwhelmed. She also said that she felt that she was denying her calling to become a preacher. After the birth of Rolf, she said the nagging feeling that she wanted to become a preacher became stronger and stronger. Finally, while hospitalized, she said she accepted this challenge to become a preacher. As soon as she did, she said she was able to get up out of her hospital bed and she was cured. In the spring of 1915, Harold came home to discover that
2: Amy had packed herself and the kids up and left him to preach on the road. Uh, Weeks later, he received a letter inviting him to join her while she traveled around. And he agreed to meet up with her with the intention of bringing her back to Rhode Island. And he said when he saw her preaching to the crowd, he saw her in a completely new light and realized that preaching was her calling and actually decided to join her and work alongside her. They embarked on a more transient lifestyle. They sold their house in Providence. They lived out of their... Car, which they called their gospel car, and traveled from place to place. He organized the logistics of her revival meetings, and they traveled the country. Even though Harold was initially excited to be involved with his wife's preaching, he quickly decided that he wanted a more stable day-to-day life. I personally think he got tired of living out of his car. Yeah, uh, he decided to move back to Rhode Island in ni- and in 1918. He filed for separation. Their divorce was finalized in 1921. The divorce didn't slow Amy down. She was widely accepted on the Sawdust Trail and saw high attendance at her revival meetings. Now, the Sawdust Trail was a name given to the circuit traveled by preachers uh, where they would host their revival meetings in different places. The floors of these temporary buildings and tents were covered in sawdust to dampen the noise of the shuffling and stomping of feet soon Amy's crowds were so large that most of the buildings were too small to accommodate everyone in 1918 Amy embarked on a cross country tour in her gospel car uh, which by this point was decked out with religious slogans that had been painted all over it with Harold out of the picture her mother Mildred who had recently converted to Pentecostalism became her manager Amy began conducting preachings while standing on the back of her gospel car with a megaphone A turning point in her celebrity as a preacher came in 1919 when she was in Baltimore. She received coverage when her overcapacity revival meeting at the Lyric Opera House was barely kept under control and drew the attention of local newspapers.
0: So soon after Baltimore, Amy, her children, and her mom moved to Los Angeles, California. Her mom rented out the biggest venue in the city at the time, the Philharmonic Auditorium, which seated 3,500 people. Even with the unprecedented space, people lined up hours before to try to get a seat inside and packed the building past capacity. Attendees built Amy and her family a house to stay in, and their move uh, to Los Angeles became permanent. Since L.A. is, was and is a popular vacation destination, Amy decided to give up the touring life and preach exclusively in Los Angeles. Combining both tourists and locals, Amy drew hundreds of thousands of visitors per year. To accommodate her massive audience, Amy oversaw the construction of the Los Angel- or, excuse me, of the Angelus Temple in Echo Park, uh, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles. It is still there today, located on Glendale Boulevard. According to the church's own records, 40 million people visited the church in its first decade of existence. This building is considered to be the first megachurch in the United States. Once she started becoming more popular, Amy moved away from calling her church a Pentecostal church because Pentecostalism was not widely popular in the U.S. at the time. Instead, she chose to focus on the aspects that would appeal to a wide variety of Christians, specifically the second coming of Christ. Her ministry focused mainly on getting ready for the second coming and recruiting others to help them get ready as well. She successfully mobilized her congregation to spread her message through radio, telephone, and word of mouth. She also mobilized her congregation to provide social services to Los Angeles in mass. This was during the Great Depression, so her church offered anyone a place to sleep and eat 24-7, no questions asked. When the local government shut down the school lunch programs, her church replaced it. She also worked with fire and police departments to distribute food and worked with doctors to provide free clinic hours.
2: By 1926, Amy was one of the most influential ministers of her time. She is considered to be a phenomenon by her peers and well-known throughout the United States. She was essentially a folk hero who used her celebrity status to help people, uh, even during the worst economic crisis the country had seen. So she was kind of there for people when they needed her. Mm-hmm. She also used her position as a well-known personality in her personal crusades against anything she felt was a threat to Christian values. Just as when she was a teenager, Amy spoke out against evolution as an adult. She was very vocal about her support of William Jennings Bryan at the Scopes Trial in 1925. And if you're unfamiliar with the Scopes Trial, in 1925, John Scopes was tried for illegally teaching evolution at the school he worked at in Tennessee. The trial received widespread media attention across the U.S., and William Jennings Bryan was chosen to represent the World Christian Fundamentals Association during trial. Amy was his personal friend and routinely organized, well-publicized overnight prayer sessions for Brian during the trial and spoke out publicly in support of him. She was also known to back political figures that supported Christian causes. She backed Herbert Hoover over FDR for president, but switched her support to FDR once he was elected, citing his social programs as the reason for her change in support. She spoke out against communism, which played well with an American audience in the 1920s, claiming that communists wanted to rid Christianity from the earth. She sought to elect people to office who wanted to cement Christianity's place in the government, which she said was essential to the, quote, spiritual health of a society. A lot of what Amy preached back then, I think, directly correlates to what megachurch pastors preach about today. I see a lot of parallels between her church and some churches today.
0: Definitely. And I feel like, I, you know, there's I wonder if she laid the groundwork. I would, you know, I don't even think I wonder anymore uh, for the temperance, temperance movement in the 50s. I mean, just talking about wanting to get, you know, Christian um, in government, you know, Christianity's place in government and things like that. Uh, and, and we still hear this today, too, right? We're a Christian nation, etc., stuff like that. But I know in the 50s, there was a huge temperance movement, and um, I wonder if she was sort of the mother of it in a sense. You can definitely draw, like, her ideals
2: and values back to, you know, you can connect There's them. a correlation there, Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a correlation. Amy had solidified herself as this prominent religious figure that had political influence and media influence and she was seen as the example of a woman who lived her lived her life completely according to christian principles she was basically at the top of her field and she sort of had it all in terms of you know the lifestyle that she led Mm -hmm. on may 18th 1926 amy went to ocean park beach with her secretary to go swimming soon her secretary realized that she couldn't see amy in the water and searched the beach for her, but when she wasn't found, the authorities were contacted. She was scheduled to preach a sermon that day, and her mother took her place. At the end of the sermon, her mom announced that Amy was, quote, with Jesus, which sent the audience into a crying hysterical frenzy. Wow. Many initially believed that she drowned, and a search party was mobilized to try and recover her body. Venice was crowded with mourners who went to the beach and held vigil for 24 hours a day for almost a week straight while the search for her body continued, and and they basically sat there on the beach and prayed for her nonstop. Aww. The vigil was covered extensively in the media while people were waiting on edge for word of what happened to Amy. Two people actually died during the search. A member of her church drowned while searching the water, and a diver who worked for law enforcement died of exposure. While many supporters held out hope that she would be found alive, after several days, many accepted the fact that she had probably drowned. Some people didn't believe that she had drowned at all, though. Amy was linked to a man at her church named Kenneth G. Ormiston, and the two were allegedly seen driving together up the coast shortly after Amy was reported missing. It was alleged that Amy and Kenneth, who was married and had a child, were running away together.
0: In addition to the sighting of Amy leaving town with Kenneth, the Angeles Temple received hundreds of sightings of Amy from around the city, or excuse me, around the country. The Angeles Temple also received calls from people claiming to have information on her whereabouts. The church was even contacted by psychics, one who claimed that she had a vision of Amy in distress, tied up in a cabin. Mildred offered a reward of $25,000 for information leading to her return, and many people seemed interested in just trying to get the cash reward money, you know.
2: On June 5th, newspapers ran a headline that Amy was at a hotel in Canada. Police descended on the hotel, and as far as I could tell, they they brought everyone out to try and recover her. Um, and they realized that the caller, who claimed to be Amy, was basically fake. She knew Amy. She had been to some of her revival meetings and she impersonated Amy and said that she was hiding out at the hotel. Wow. So as soon as they announced that she was, you know, safe in Canada and that they were coming to get her. they
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. I
2: had to report that the sighting was fake, so it was kind of a blow
0: to her family. Yeah, that's sad. Uh, Ransom demands were also communicated to the church during Amy's disappearance, not surprisingly. Uh, Most were written off as hoaxes, but several were forwarded to the police for investigation. One ransom note was from a group who identified themselves as the Revengers. They demanded $500,000 from the church. That would be about $6.8 million in today's dollars inflation, man. (laughs) They said if they did not receive payment, they would sell uh, Amy into quote-unquote white slavery, and they wanted the church to hurry up because her preaching was bothering them. (laughs) This demand was investigated and proved to be uh, false. Her mother, Mildred, wrote off all the ransom demands as hoaxes and publicly said that she believed her daughter had died.
2: Amy's children, who were teenagers by this point, were subject to unrelenting media scrutiny, Some reporters felt that their children, the children's reactions weren't, quote, distraught enough. That's annoying. And reporters actually broke into the house her daughter Roberta was staying in to search for clues of Amy's whereabouts. Wow. They were looking to confirm or deny the rumor that Amy had run off with Kenneth Ormiston. When reporters heard a rumor that Amy may have spoken to her son by phone after her disappearance, they descended on his house and camped out for days. He was basically trapped inside of his own home and couldn't leave. Poor guy. Amy's family and church publicly said that they believed that she had died and held a mass fundraiser collecting donations from the congregation for an elaborate memorial service. On June 20th, Mildred announced to the congregation
0: that she did not believe that her daughter's body would ever be recovered. Well, three days later, on June 23rd, Amy stumbled out of the desert and collapsed at the feet of a couple in Agua Prieta Sonora in Mexico. Agua Prieta is a border town across from Douglas, Arizona, about 600 miles away from Los Angeles. The couple thought she had died when she fell at their feet, but she woke up and they brought her inside their house. She told them that she was kidnapped, drugged, and tortured by two men and a woman uh, who held her for ransom in a shack. She referred to two of them as Steve and Rose and said she never learned the third person's name. Once she identified herself as an American citizen, she was sent across the border to Douglas. The city police department transferred her to a hospital. While there, it was noticed that her shoes and hands were covered in dirt, but the rest of her was clean. She also had a few cactus pines in her legs and a blister on her toe. Douglas police suspected that she was the missing pastor and contacted LAPD, who accompanied Amy's family to Arizona.
2: In a statement taken at the Douglas Hospital, Amy said that while she was on the beach in Venice, she was approached by a young couple who asked her to come with them to pray for their sick child. She followed them to their car, and she realized when she looked in the back seat that the child was actually just a pile of blankets, and then the couple shoved her into the car. She also said that they put a cloth over her face, which made her lose consciousness And they believe that that cloth was soaked in something like chloroform. Mm -hmm. When she woke up, she was no longer in a bathing suit. A woman she said was named Rose had changed her into a dress. She said she initially held was held in a boarded up room in a more urban city part of Mexico before being moved to a rural shack. While her captors were running errands, she said she cut the ropes that had been used to tie her up on the lid of an open metal can. She then climbed out of the back window of the shack and used a mountain as a navigation guide to head north. Once darkness fell, she used the city lights to guide herself to the house where she was found. Amy returned to Los Angeles by train, and the day she arrived, she was met at the station by over 30,000 people, which was more than was waiting for Woodrow Wilson when he visited Los Angeles in 1919. That's crazy. City officials were not thrilled with the huge turnout at the train station. It was a nuisance, and they considered the whole show to be gaudy and saw it as kind of overall an embarrassment for the city. She was kind of a colorful person and Mm -hmm. just seemed to be kind of a big scene. You're right. She faced increasing doubt from people outside of the church who believed that she might not have been kidnapped at all. Due to the scrutiny, Amy pushed for an investigation into finding and prosecuting her kidnappers. She saw the investigation as a way to get more publicity for the church, and Amy went against her mother's advice and hired a team of lawyers to advise her throughout the investigation. Uh, A grand jury convened on July 8th, 1926, and it became immediately apparent to those in the audience that the DA was aggressively interrogating Amy. Amy. Prosecutor Asakiz insinuated that she was a charlatan that staged a disappearance in order to fundraise for a scam memorial. Prosecutors showed evidence that the weather the day Amy was walking through the desert topped 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Now that's 49 degrees for our Celsius people. And it would not have been possible for her to walk very far in that weather, let alone all day and into the night. Furthermore, besides the cactus prickles in her leg and some dirt on her shoes and hands, She seemed to be in fairly good health when she was admitted to the hospital, even though she didn't have any water with her. A witness for the defense contradicted the prosecution and said that her condition was reasonable for someone who had spent over 12 hours in the desert sun. Officials in the city of Douglas banded together in support of Amy and the defense and sent a signed statement
0: of their support to the court. Months after the police stated that, that even with the help of a Native American guide, they could not locate where Amy was allegedly held. It was announced that there was a shack discovered in the desert. Approximately 18 miles outside of Douglas, an old miner's shack was discovered, and local police said there was evidence that she had been held there. A member of law enforcement said there was a can inside that could have been used to cut the ties, like Amy had said in her statement. The investigator also said on the day she was found that he remembered her stockings having holes around her ankles consistent with being tied down. Basically, the shack fit the general description of where Amy said she was being held.
2: The second inquiry on August 8th was a complete media frenzy. By this point, it was reported that more developments had been made involving the theory that Amy ran off with her married friend, Kenneth Ormiston. New developments suggested that the two left town and went up the coast to Carmel-by-the-Sea and that she wasn't kidnapped at all. Prosecution produced five witnesses that claimed that they saw the two together up the coast during the time that Amy was supposedly being held hostage. One witness lived next door to the cottage that Amy and Kenneth were supposedly staying at and identified Amy while on the stand. Another man who worked on the grounds of the cottage identified Kenneth as the man who was staying there during the time of the disappearance. Even though this groundskeeper had initially been expected to testify that he also saw Amy there... When asked about it on the stand, he switched his story and claimed that Amy
0: was not the woman who was staying with Kenneth. So we won't go through each witness, but both the defense and the prosecution gained and lost witnesses on the stand. This created a ton of confusion and frustration for both sides, but the media was eating it up. There is a near constant media coverage of all the proceedings.
2: On November 3rd, it was announced that the city of Los Angeles was set to put Amy, her mother Mildred, and several other members of the church on trial for perjury and obstruction of justice. The trial was due to start after the new year in mid-January, and if convicted, the group could have faced over 40 years in prison. On January 10th, the day the trial was set to start, instead of basically doing opening statements, the prosecution decided to dismiss their case against Amy, her mother, and the other church members due to lack of concrete evidence. Likewise, they also decided not to pursue charges against her alleged kidnappers because there was not enough evidence to show that she was kidnapped and no suspects had
0: ever been identified. A lot of her supporters wanted her to go through with the trial to clear her name. Because no evidence existed that she did not fake her kidnapping and there was no ruling, people were free to accuse her of lying without being charged with slander. And many people chose to speak their mind and called her a liar very openly. In addition, the IRS ruled that her court and legal fees for her defense team that exceeded over $100,000 were not part of the church's operating expenditures and created a tax liability that Amy and the church had to fundraise to cover. So basically... Amy was not allowed to use church funds to pay for her legal fees. Amy wrote a book detailing her ordeal in 1927 called In the Service of the King, The Story of My Life.
2: After the charges were dismissed, Amy and the church were subjected to an onslaught of unrelenting negative press attention. Newspapers focused on the wrongdoings or perceived wrongdoings in her personal and professional life. They had a vested interest in perpetuating news coverage about her because it was boosting sales in a way they'd never seen before. Wow. Due to her alleged involvement with a married man, reporters focused on her love life mostly. Uh, At this time, she had been married twice, one ending in the death of her first husband and the other in divorce. She was married again and quickly divorced after the kidnapping. Uh, rumors began to circulate after the trial about numerous extramarital affairs going back many years. And most of the people who were accused of having affairs with her denied their involvement. Amy herself would refuse to address most of these rumors, but in a way kind of where she'd be asked about it. And she, oh, I'm not going to comment on that. You know, it's it's distracting. In a way where she, she always kind of did comment on it. But you did know? talk about it. Yeah. But I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. Basically. Ask right. me again. Yeah, she said she didn't want to distract from, you know, her work with the church. Mm -hmm. In the years after the kidnapping, Amy caught flack from some members of the congregation. Due to a change in her appearance and behavior, she seemed to embrace a more glamorous lifestyle. She lost weight. She dyed her hair and dressed in designer clothes. She embraced fame and justified it by claiming that it would help spread the word of God and basically her church's message and re- reach a wider audience. Um, she often appeared in newspapers alongside Hollywood celebrities and on, like, you know, best dress lists, sort of. Mm-hmm. Kind of what they had, the equivalent they had back then. Society, pages, and all that. Uh, many congregation members longed for the old Amy that cared less about being famous in material items. Uh, one congregation member that decided to do something about it was Amy's own mother, Mildred, She initiated a vote of confidence among the staff members against Amy and her new lifestyle and basically tried to have her removed as head of the church. Wow. Uh, Mildred lost her vote and decided once she lost that she was going to leave the church. And without Mildred's administrative and financial expertise, because she'd been spearheading this from since the beginning. Right. The church plummeted into debt and Amy's revival meeting attendance fell as well. In 1936, in an attempt to alleviate tensions, Between staff members within the church, Amy resigned from her position. She is replaced by a much less controversial pastor named Giles Knight, who brought the church out of debt and improved its public image. Knight also sequestered Amy and limited her contact with the press and the congregation. But he did let her start traveling again, so she kind of went back to her roots and went back out on the the tour trail, basically. Mm
0: -hmm. And gave her most popular sermons on tour throughout the country. On September 26, 1944, McPherson was on tour giving her popular Story of My Life sermon throughout California. At 10 a.m., her son went to her hotel in Oakland and found her unconscious with a half-empty bottle of pills next to her. She was pronounced dead at 11.15 a.m. She had called her doctor that morning, complaining that the medication she was on had made her feel sick, but the doctor was in surgery and missed her call. The autopsy results were inconclusive. Amy had been prescribed sleeping pills in the past and a bottle was found in her room. Uh, Second a barbiturate was also found in her room and had not been prescribed to her. It's not known how she obtained them. The official cause of death is listed as unknown it is believed that she most likely died of an accidental overdose from probably a mixture of those two pills. Her body laid in state at the Angeles Temple for three days and was visited by over 45,000 people. Cars were double parked within a mile and a half of the temple. It took 11 trucks to take $50,000 worth of flowers and bouquets to the cemetery, which was already inundated with orders sent directly there. She is buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery in Glendale, California.
2: So Amy led, she was clearly a colorful figure who led Mm -hmm. a really interesting life. You know, she made herself into a household name and influenced hundreds of thousands of lives. But whether or not she staged her own kidnapping remains unknown. I think she probably did fake her own kidnapping, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if she did it to scam the church for money i th- I think she ran off with Kenneth Ormison, her yeah. friend. I think they were having probably having an affair right. I could see how that would happen. He was a member of the church that she led. you know mm-hmm. I don't think that there was enough evidence that she was kidnapped and held in the Mexican desert for a month. Uh-uh. you know, no kidnappers are ever named or identified, but she had you know the Douglas police force was completely on her side, and they were in the area investigating, but never found. You know, anything anyone. but the shack, right? <laughs> right. And they didn't find that shack until months later. You know, I think that when she was discovered, she didn't look like someone who had spent hours crawling through the desert in, you know, super high heat, you know, 120 degrees in the desert, um, no shade, no water. Much
0: less somebody who's been held captive for a month, too, right? I mean, I would imagine they would have had some description like she was, you know, so thin and, and massive, you know, just starving and, and, dirtier than just her hands and feet kind of thing
2: definitely yeah basically i think it makes more sense that she ran off with a lover than she was kidnapped held hostage heroically escaped and then was returned to los angeles
0: yeah i think the same honestly i i don't think she was kidnapped either i i think this was a huge stunt to cover an affair um she probably ran off you know they fell in love whatever it was and and you know he's married she's not married it's a big no-no um and it's just my opinion, though. I think somehow making this whole, you know, thing up in her head that, uh, or in her making not in her head, but you know what I mean, making this whole story up that she was kidnapped, but she escaped and this and that is a better than I am an ad- adulterer, right? So, you know, rather admitting that she had an affair with a married man, and I was I, kidnapped.
2: I think that, yeah, admitting, you know, something like that
0: would permanently her whole life damage apart. her reputation. Right her whole life i mean she's a head of a church um i will say though in the 20s you know a woman head of a church is pretty impressive
2: oh yeah she definitely was a very impressive woman she you know started from nothing and became you know one of the most known pastors of, of the her first, time you first know, mega church in the u.s
0: yeah yeah and you know i will say i like you said, during the Great Depression and, you know, when they cut school lunches, they, they took it over. They helped people eat and sleep during the Great Depression. I mean, it, you know, did yeah. some good. Even after
2: her kidnapping, you know, her church was very charitable right? And, and spent a lot of time helping the community that they were in.
0: Right. And so that's why I don't think it was necessarily either for the money. I think it was probably for love. Um, And she ran off. That's just my, you know, similar to your opinion, right? I think she ran off with a lover and this was just a, in her mind made more sense to say this than than tell the truth because you know? she would have lost everything too she would have lost everything um, but uh, I think that wraps, uh, that wraps us up for today if I could speak uh, for this episode of Misconduct thank you for joining us if you have any questions or comments about today's case you can head over to our Facebook page or our Facebook group or find us on Instagram or Twitter at Misconduct Podcast we also want to give a shout out to the Blank Tapes who do our awesome intro and outro music. You can find them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Give them uh, a listen. And like we mentioned in the opening, we just launched our Patreon. We have a bunch of really cool stickers, and our mugs just arrived this week, so we're really excited, and they look awesome. Check us uh, out at our Patreon site. That's patreon.com slash misconductpodcast for more information. And thank you for listening, and we will see you guys next week.